0: We have been going through our core uh, values, our core beliefs, uh, and we're, we're finally getting to part four, which is specifically related to the kingdom of God. And uh, so this morning, we're starting that off, uh, the first core value here of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for mankind. Now, if you uh, had been in church for many decades through, through the late 20th century, you might have never heard a sermon on the, the kingdom of God before. I don't know if it was preached here or not. It probably was. But many places were not. It was sort of this sort of lost um, topic, and it, which was very strange because it was the number one thing that Jesus talked about all through his ministry. But I, I'm not sure why it was. I, I think maybe because you had... Uh, very successful event, uh, evangelistic ministries like Billy Graham and these things where they had a very sharp focus, a very specific focus, which was bringing people into the kingdom. And so, di- certain terminology started being used, such as you know inviting Jesus into your heart or things like that, uh, which was which was good. But it's not actually the big message that Jesus preached. That was that that is just one part of the message of the kingdom. So, unfortunately, it started to be overlooked and almost forgotten for a very long time. But in recent years. I'm, I'm very pleased to see that so many people from so many different cultures and so many different streams now are bringing this message. For example, you have the charismatics who talk much about the kingdom, about bringing heaven to earth, about uh, uh, you know, seeing uh, uh, the supernatural power of heaven and culture of heaven come to earth. And praise God, that is a right on message. You have others who, who take different, uh, uh, completely different aspects of that, talking about uh, uh, in, the inner healing that comes forth because in heaven there's no resentment. So on earth, the kingdom of God means we are going to, to, to have our inner selves healed. You even have people that are, are more socially motivated across the world looking for institutions of injustice and saying, those things shouldn't be in heaven. Those things are not part of the kingdom of heaven. And part of the kingdom of heaven means overturning those things because that's what Jesus would want us to do. So all different kinds of Christians all over the world are preaching the kingdom and going after it. Now, is it all perfect? Of course not. Of course not. But all I want to do this morning is give us a picture of what I think Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. Because it can be a very easily misunderstood topic. So this morning, I want to talk about this. The gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for mankind. Forgive me. When I point up like that, I forget that you're all watching there and not behind me. I do that all the time, and I kick myself later. It's back there, too. Everyone can turn around and see it's back there, too. So if you want to turn around and watch the back, you're welcome to do that. It would hurt my feelings greatly, but you're welcome to do that. Yeah. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah... Said this For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, uh, shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Isaiah the prophet was not just prophesying the coming of Jesus who would die for our sins. He was prophesying the coming of the kingdom that Jesus would bring. It was more than just an individual thing. The kingdom of God has individual components to it, obviously. But first and foremost, it's something much bigger than you. It's something much bigger than you asking Jesus into your heart. It goes beyond that. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying this is very broad, this is very big, and it's not going to end. Now, he wasn't the only prophet talking about that. A little more than a hundred years later, you had Daniel, the prophet, Daniel, the statesman, Daniel, the interpreter of dreams, his king, Nebuchadnezzar, dreamed this terrifying dream and was so troubled by it. And here's Daniel then reading back his dream to him. He saw... Nebuchadnezzar saw in this dream the statue with a head of gold uh, and uh, uh, chest and arms of silver, thighs of bronze and legs of iron. And, and Daniel goes and one by one says, Okay, this is what this is. You, sir, are the head of gold. Your kingdom of Babylon, you are a great king of a great kingdom, but after you is going to come another kingdom that's gonna have two arms. Medes and the Persians, that's what that would turn out to be. Then there's going to be thighs of bronze, that'll be the Greek empire. And then legs of iron and feet of clay, which would be Rome. So he describes this statue, but what happened in the dream was actually kind of scary to him. Because you have this amazing statue, but then here's what you see. A, a, stone, was cut, a, a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Can you see him telling this story? He's like, you saw the statue. And then, bam! A little rock was... And it's like a Michael Bay movie, you know? It's just just, just an explosion. And what happens? It all disappears except that rock goes. And becomes far bigger than any of them. Here's what Daniel says. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Do you see it? Talking about all these things being kingdoms. Well, this rock is going to be cut without human hands. No person did this or built this. This little thing is going to come, destroy all those other kingdoms, and it's going to become a kingdom that cannot be stopped. That is the prophecy. That's a pretty vivid prophetic word, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. It's not just unto us a sweet little child will be born, it's a king's going to be born, and he's going to start a kingdom that's not going to be stopped. Now, fast forward. Here we go. Uh, Roughly 580 years later, you've got these shepherds in the middle of the night outside of Bethlehem. And suddenly, an angel comes and appears to them in the sky. And he says, fear not, because they're all wetting themselves right there. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Christ the Lord. The king, Christ, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the Lord, he has come. I find it interesting that the language even mirrors the Isaiah prophecy. Unto us a child shall be born. Here they say, unto you this day is born a savior, a king. And we've said it many times in this house, how this, these words mirror the great announcements of a birth of a new Caesar. It's just like they would say for a new Caesar. You'd have your town criers going from place to place, all celebrating the birth of a new Caesar. And they called those people evangelists, bringers of good news. And here we have an angel bringing the good news that, guess what? The king who we've been waiting for is born, and he's bringing a kingdom with him. Here's the kingdom of God literally coming, literally in infancy. Isn't that cool? See what I did there? I prefer a little bit of good job, but forget it. That's fine. It's too late. Don't bother. You guys, you guys of all people. Unbelievable. <laughs> so here we have Jesus. His ministry begins. Now everywhere he goes, what is he talking about? Well, not so much heaven and hell. He is talking about that occasionally, but much more he's talking about the kingdom that he's He's bringing. And people aren't exactly clear about it, so they're asking questions. And so he's explaining it. Jesus is a master teacher. So he's giving them stories. He's given them scenarios. He's not... Jesus doesn't just go, well, here's what it is. He gives them vivid pictures for them to think about. And all of those are become this big collage of what the kingdom is going to be. But here's the first thing that he begins to say. He gets baptized. And then from here on out, here's what he's saying. Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now unfortunately that word repent might conjure up images of people with bullhorns on the side of the you know on the sidewalk screaming at people. The word repent simply means turn around. It means a change of mind. It means go the other direction. Jesus was telling people, repent, turn around, go the other direction because the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. The kingdom of God is coming to you. It's here with me. It's be ready. You know what he's telling them to repent from he's telling them to change their mind about their idea of the kingdom because their idea was a small idea they thought the kingdom of god was the kingdom of israel they reduced it down you see that so he's telling them repent this is just simply not true folks and that's what much of the new testament ends up being about the book of acts so there's there's many sections of the book of Acts that deal with that very thing, of people thinking that the Jewish people were the entrance to the kingdom of God. But it's not true, and Jesus is telling them to repent. Why do I even bring this up? Well, because the entrance requirements of the kingdom are clear. Repent and believe. For us, here's what that means. It means we turn away from whatever our God is. And for many of us, we might have had the misconstrued idea that the kingdom of God, just like they reduced it to a kingdom of Israel, we might have reduced it down further. The kingdom of God is me and Jesus sitting barefoot with a guitar on the hill. And it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Please let those things be a part. But it's bigger than that. He's saying, expand your mind here because I'm doing something much greater than you've ever imagined. So this becomes Jesus' sermon. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, um, he, he begins to describe these things, and there's so many verses about the kingdom of God. I, I simply can't, I don't have time to go into all of these. It would take hours and hours, um, and it's a wonderful study. I've gone through several times back when we were with uh, YWAM Tyler, actually, at the School of the Bible. We would go through... And do whole huge sections just on the kingdom of God. And you see the parables that Jesus told. And and, and just uh, it becomes a a vivid and, and alive and a very rich thing. So it's a wonderful study to do is just go look for verses about the kingdom of God. So people don't get it. Jesus is going around. He's telling parables. And they're saying, show us the kingdom. And then he would go, okay, the kingdom of God is like this. And I want to just give you some headlines of things that he said. We won't quote the the scripture, but just give you some headlines here, okay? What is the kingdom like, people would say. Well, here's one thing he said. It's like a mustard seed. And he gave the example of a little tiny seed, so small, and then you put it in a garden, and what happens? It grows huge over time. It takes time, but it grows huge. It grows bigger than all the things around it, and it provides shade all over the place, not only for the good people, but for anybody. It's like a mustard seed. It starts small, grows huge. Just like that little rock that fell from the mountain, right? Kind of got a theme going here. Starts small, goes huge. Here's another one. It starts within you. People say, where is the kingdom? I don't see the kingdom because they're getting a little antsy here. Here is the guy who's supposed to be the king, but he's not wearing a crown. He's not picking up a sword. He's not charging Pontius Pilate with a, you know, William Wallace Scottish scream. I still want to go there right now, but I'm not going to. So he he didn't do any of that. He's just a guy going and and preaching good things and healing people and doing all these things they're not expecting. And they're saying, well, where is the kingdom? And he says, it's within you. Because it starts in your heart. Totally weren't expecting that. Now, if it's really the kingdom, it's not going to stay just in your heart. It's going to move outward. Many times, his examples would talk about how the kingdom expands, how the kingdom grows. And it's, so it's not just internal. It's going to start internal, but it's going to move external. That's the way it moves. It starts in hearts, and it goes to individuals, and then it goes to their families, and then it goes to their communities. And pretty soon, whole peoples are being transformed. It is powerful. Here we have Jesus using the fact that he's, he's healing and casting out devils all over the place as a uh, uh, proof that the kingdom has come. If it hadn't come, I wouldn't be able to do these things. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it brings power with it. I'll explain more about that in a moment. It's available to everyone, not just the Jews, but for our day, not just the powerful. It's available to everyone. There are no limits on the kingdom of God. You can't be born into it, neither can you be born out of it. It's upside down. He says if you want to be great in this kingdom, you have to completely put on a different set of glasses here. Because greatness looks much, much different. So you have here the two two of Jesus' closest friends angling for a top job in the kingdom. You remember this? The two brothers are like, hey, when we get to your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand? They they get their mom to go and ask, which is really lame. I've heard many studies that people think that the uh, disciples were actually teenagers. I hope they were, because that gives me a little bit of grace for them, although you guys, you don't ever do that either. But if they're grown men, that really, I really want to smack them. So Jesus, what does he say to him? If you want to be great in the kingdom, in my kingdom, you have to be the servant. On your knees, you have to learn how to kneel. This kingdom is going to operate, in other words, far different than any kingdom they have seen before. Are you still with me? All right. I know I'm going, throwing a lot at you here, but like I said, I'm not going to go long, I promise. It's heaven's culture. Jesus prayed thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because his kingdom is uh, perfect in heaven. His will is done perfectly in heaven and that's why he's praying, let it come here because when the kingdom of God touches, what happens is those things that matter in heaven begin to matter on earth. The kingdom of God is the culture of heaven. The kingdom of God expands by invitation, not force. Anytime somebody's tried to expand the kingdom of God by force, It's been catastrophic and it has happened many times. It cannot be expanded that way. People need to be invited into it and let this always be a check in our own hearts. You cannot force someone to do what's right. You can force them on the outside to do what's right, but on the inside, you can't touch what's in there and the kingdom of God starts in there. You cannot pressure someone in to, to, to accepting truth. You cannot pressure someone in to believing in Christ. The gospel of the kingdom is an invitation. Are you with me still? And it's finally centered on the king. You cannot say you work to promote the kingdom of God... You cannot say you are doing kingdom Jesus type stuff if it's not rooted directly in Jesus. It is centered in him. He is inseparable from the kingdom. So here he is, the king, comes to earth as a small child and he tells everyone, get ready, the kingdom's at hand. Get ready, the kingdom's at hand. Now here's the interesting thing about the kingdom though. You can expand it accidentally. Do you know that? People end up expanding the kingdom accidentally all the time. Because the values of the kingdom are so attractive and so transformative that you have a lot of people that don't love Jesus and end up promoting it, even, even if they say right out, I don't love Jesus. It's amazing how it happens. And it has happened time and time again. Give you one example. You know, in the ancient world, children were not valued very much at all. Children were, in the stage of their childhood, they're just, parents are just basically waiting for them to get old enough to where they can actually contribute to the family in financial ways. Waiting until they can go and work out in the field or things like that. That was just a common thing. This is one of the reasons why I, it's very difficult to find examples of good parents in the Bible. You can find loads of examples of bad parents, even of really... Righteous people, otherwise, who were terrible parents. I could go through example after example after example after example. It's very difficult to find examples of good parents because it was so countercultural. A good parent who actually invests in their child and loves their child right where they're at, very difficult. So, no wonder Jesus is preaching a sermon, and what happens? These kids run up, right? They run up and they start, you know, talking and laughing. They're probably trying to tickle Jesus. He's a very approachable guy, you know. And the disciples are like, oh, This is awful. Get them away. Psst, kids, oh, call your parents. And Jesus is like, Hey, relax. Let them come. And not only does he let them come and probably embrace them and tickle them back and all these things, but he says this The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And if you want access to my kingdom, you're going to have to become more childlike. What do you think happened to their heads in that moment? They were not happy, I'm sure. But now look at us today. This is a completely transformed idea that we have pretty much around the world. Now, I know there are terrible things that happen with children. I totally understand that. But look at what's happened today. You have people who hate God, who their entire mission is to raise raise money for child orphans around the world. You see children's hospitals being set up and doctors and nurses that are giving their lives to the good fortune of children, whether or not they believe in Jesus at all. You see United Nations programs like UNICEF, who are like, their entire mission is to help children around the world. All of these different organizations, I know they're very imperfect, don't get me wrong, but the entire mindset of a child's value has been utterly and completely transformed by people who don't even love Jesus. You see that? But that's what happens with kingdom values. They can be so attractive, so powerful, so transformative that, they could, that people can end up promoting the kingdom and, and they aren't even trying to. Now, are they in the kingdom? No. In fact, Jesus, that's why Jesus would say to some people, "You're not far from the kingdom. Your values are already lining up. I love what East Stanley Jones says here. "The kingdom of God is Christ-likeness, universalized." Isn't that cool? Christ-likeness universalized. That might be the best succinct definition that you can ever see. You have people ending up acting like Christ without even realizing that's what they're doing. But more and more, you cannot be truly transformed unless you meet him and unless you surrender to him. It starts in here. Go back to the mustard seed example just to tie together what I was just saying. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? This is what Jesus said. Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds uh, that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms larger branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. It will grow shade for everyone. You see that? So when a nation starts investing in kingdom values, everyone will be blessed when they start trimming branches away from those kingdom values, everyone will lose blessing. So, here's what Jesus came to do. In establishing his kingdom, he had to confront the dominant kingdoms of the world. Yes, Rome, but there was one more dominant kingdom even than Rome. And here's what Jesus came to do. He says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He he uses that term referencing who? The devil, the ruler of this world. The son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, here we have Jesus, the new king of this new kingdom that's starting small, that's going to get huge. And what is he doing when he comes as that mustard seed? In establishing his kingdom, he's going straight for the dominant kingdom of the day, which is the kingdom of Satan. Now, the kingdom of Satan, uh, Satan comes for obvious reasons. He comes to kill, he comes to steal, he comes to destroy. And here's what we need to understand. When people give themselves over to the powers of darkness, those powers do have jurisdiction over them. And here in the ancient world, Jesus is coming and he is saying, well, here, look at this quote here. Oh, oh. While Jesus and his followers, of course, believed that God was the ultimate Lord over all creation, they clearly viewed Satan as the functional Lord of the earth at the present time. Now, you need to see this because you can't think about the greatness of God and the sovereignty of God without bringing in the fact that he's actually at war. You you do have an enemy. He's a real enemy. That might be too big a jump for you if you don't know Christ or if this is new to you. But you do have an enemy. And that enemy had jurisdiction over the whole world. And when Jesus comes, he comes to break that jurisdiction. So everything he does then, he's going around preaching. He's going around healing. He's going around casting out demons, all of these things. You know what those were? Those are little chips, little chips. He's breaking away little pieces of that jurisdiction of the enemy. It reminds me of that wonderful scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the white witch who's made it always winter and never Christmas for hundreds of years is on her sled and she's chasing after the children and suddenly the sled starts slowing down as she looks and she sees grass and she sees the snow melting and turning to mud and she sees flowers come out and she sees that her jurisdiction is coming under attack by the appearance of Aslan the lion. This is the same thing Jesus is doing pushing away, showing us that it can be pushed away, the powers of darkness. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, God himself likewise also partook of the same, of flesh and blood, through Jesus. And through death, he might render powerless uh, powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus came to set slaves free. I want to play this for you. This was a clip from uh, an NPR show, All Things Considered. Uh, This was just about two weeks ago that this just played. You ready, Robert?
1: Today is Juneteenth the holiday that marks what happened in Texas on June 19, 1865. Slave owners in the state had kept news of the Emancipation Proclamation issued two years earlier from their slaves. And on this day, 150 years ago, Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, with 2,000 troops and a message. Slaves were free. Laura Smalley, born into slavery in Texas, was a child when it happened. We didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Mom and them didn't know where to go. You see, after freedom broke, just turned just like you turn some out. You know, didn't know where to go. They turned us out just like you know you turn out cattle. <laughs> I say. They didn't know where to go after freedom broke. She says, turned us out just like you turn out cattle. Smalley recalled this in 1941 in Hempstead, Texas. She was interviewed by John Henry Falk. That interview now preserved at the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. She told Falk that before June nineteenth, the slaves on the plantation she lived on didn't know slavery had been abolished after the Civil War. You no, know, and old Marshall didn't tell you know, it was free. He didn't tell you that no, he didn't tell. They went there and turned them loose on the nineteenth of June. That's why you know you celebrate that day. Colors folks. Celebrate that day. Celebrate that day. Celebrate that day. That's Laura Smalley speaking in 1941 about her memories of Juneteenth, the day 150 years ago that slaves in Texas were granted their freedom more than two years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Now, I know that was hard to hear in an echoey place like this. So here you have 1941, this woman speaking about her experiences and her memories. Two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, she goes on being a slave because her slave masters never told them that they were free. Two years later, can you imagine? And then a man comes in with 2,000 troops and he looks around and he says, why are you still here? And he look at the slave masters and say, they're free. Do I need to explain this? Here is the message we have from Jesus. The domain of Satan has been broken. Slavery is over. There is a new kingdom, and everyone's invited to come. It's been 2,000 years, and still some people have not gotten the message. They have not heard, they've been lied to. And we have the privilege of going and bringing the greatest news that we could ever bring that they're free. That Jesus Christ is offering them not only freedom, but citizenship in a kingdom that will never end. The gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for mankind because it's the only message that brings the king himself in. Praise God. We're going to be talking more about the kingdom in the next couple of weeks, but I wanted just to give you a big picture. Is that, hopefully that's a little bit clearer, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll take some time to, to wrap our minds around what this means. So in the meantime, let's stand up. Put your hand on your heart. Stealing one from Pastor Joshua here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gift of freedom. We thank you so much for everything you went through on our behalf that we could be free and we could have new life. Lord, help this revelation and all that it means to go deep, deep, deep into our hearts as we submit more and more to your lordship in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. The prayer servant team will be in the back if anyone needs prayer for anything whatsoever. Be blessed. Thank you.